I find music a useful distraction, a focused tool, keeps the inner voice from wandering. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by Amir Ture and Derek Wong. So tonight we are talking about David Fincher's new film, The Killer, which stars Michael Fassbender, Tilda Swinton, and Arliss Howard, a movie about a hitman whose world is turned upside down after a botched job. It premiered at Venice Film Festival earlier this year and a few weeks after its theatrical release is now streaming on Netflix. I'm actually really excited to talk about this movie because I believe this is our first David Fincher. I think we almost talked about him on our top 25 of the decade list a few years back. You guys both loved the social network, so we did talk about him a little bit. We definitely haven't given Fincher a whole episode. Did we have the social network, both of us, on the top 25? That was my number one, I think. Both of you guys did. It was your number one? I think mine was really high Pretty up sure there, it was too. my number one, if I remember. I thought it was your number one, too, Jeff. Was it my number one? Maybe. <laughs> it might have been. I know it was, like, top three, at least. But I love Fincher. I think maybe this is one of the filmographies where all of us have probably seen most of his work. Any Fincher blind spots for you guys? Anything you guys haven't seen? Mm. Yeah, actually. I missed the last two, Gone Girl and Mank. Oh, you never seen Gone Girl? Are you yeah, crazy? Girl. Yeah, I know. What? Maybe I shouldn't have admitted that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Cinephile card revoked. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, dude, I know. He has a lot of credits to him. A lot of them being also like music videos. Uh, yeah, no, forget that. No, no, no. I'm trying to like siphon to see what movies a couple I've of those, The game, the... Uh... Michael Douglas movie? You haven't seen that? I don't think I've seen the game either. I don't think I've seen that either. Oh, I love the game. The game's good. But I, yeah, I've seen Panic Room. I've seen Zodiac. I've seen Benjamin Button. Yeah, I think I've seen pretty much everything else. So, contemporaries with Michael Bay, actually. 
for his music video work because they were both music video guys coming up around the same time. But yeah, I think I've seen most of his stuff. Top five Finchers, no particular order. Of course, and Social Network. Social Network, obviously. I put Gone Girl up there. Oh, absolutely. Zodiac's up there. Seven? Probably seven. I was going to just say seven. And maybe Girl with the Dragon? My Club? This is my admission. Not that I'm not the biggest fan of Fight Club. I don't think I love that movie as much as I think there are huge fans of Fight Club. That's Mm. what people love of Finchers. You know, like Fight Club, Fight Club, Fight Club. So maybe Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? What about you, Amir? Hmm. I'm going to say probably Fight Club zodiac social network and probably the girl with the dragon tattoo you guys really like the girl with the dragon tattoo i mean i do not too. that much i really the, i mean i haven't seen Mank or gone girl if those are the ones that are going to go above it but mm. i don't think alien 3 i haven't seen the game i don't really remember panic room as well as i maybe should that's kind of hard for me to judge for me it's not mank or benjamin button so like uh yeah i think i like it more than those two so I mean, his filmography yeah. is only like 12 movies or something, right? Yeah, it's not that many. Over the course of like, what, three decades? 30 years. Alien 3 was 92, and then yeah, so the Killers 2023. So like, a top five is a pretty big chunk of it, right? So top five, no particular order. Well, top one and two are Social Network or Zodiac. I think, yeah. depending on my mood, yeah, are interchangeable maybe. And then I want to say seven and I feel like you can't go wrong with Fight Club. I'm going to give away early, but The Killer. <laughs> wow. All right. That's a, that's a, that's interesting. You like The Killer a lot. I'm, Were you about to say controversial? <laughs> no, but I don't know. Like, huh, surprising, I think. Because, all right, I go the other way than both of you on this, where I actually really like Fight Club a lot. I just have a lot of attachment to that movie. I guess like, which is mm-hmm. when I saw it in my life and stuff. Fight Club's a big one for me. I still put that towards the top, I guess. And a lot of continuation of theme with Fight Club into The Killer. Mm, yeah. Kind of companion pieces there. Did you guys watch The Killer in theaters or on Netflix? I couldn't catch it in theaters around here. Yeah, it was not playing in any of my theaters or else I would have definitely tried. I wish I had because I actually even watched it on my computer. So it's not even like a 4K screen. So it was like, oh, this just does not look as good as... I was imagining. Was yeah, to. that kind of like sucks. Maybe had I seen it in theaters, I would have felt a little differently about this movie. I can't believe they didn't push it into more theaters. This movie is, I think, predominantly like a great theater experience. This movie has some of like the best nighttime photography maybe I've ever seen since, I don't know, like Nope from last year or something. It just looks so good. And then the Netflix compression, everyone's talking about it, just fucking kills it. It's just not as crisp, not as sharp. I saw it in like one of those AMC Dolby theaters too with the sound. And the sound design in this movie is bonkers good too. So there's that like tactile quality to this movie that you only get in theaters that just Netflix does not provide. Yeah, I think I might have missed a lot of the experience on this one, to be honest. But I enjoyed it just as much on Netflix. Maybe not just as much. It was still pretty good watching it the second time around on Netflix. You didn't find it a little talky? Oh, I love 25 minutes? <laughs> I agree what you said about Ashley's opinion. Yeah, I mean, I watched it with Ashley, and she's like, this dude does not shut the fuck up, you know? <laughs> and she tapped out. She's like, I can't watch this. I mean, she's, she's not so wrong. fucking annoying. She does, no, she does no, 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 she's not wrong. She's not wrong. I don't think she's wrong. But I think that's part of the charm of the movie and part of why I like it so much. I think this is my favorite movie of the year so far. Wow. <laughs> is that crazy to say? 
No. Is that crazy to say? It's not as ambitious or like as big as something like Oppenheimer or Killers of the Killers, Flower Moon. Yeah. But there's like remarkable depth to this movie that not a lot of people I feel are picking up on. They're just talking about like the plot and what's going on in the movie and not really diving into the themes and what David Fincher's going for. And I just really vibed with this movie. And this movie is very funny, too. It's surprisingly yeah. funnier than you would expect. I fucking vibe with this immediately. What were you going to say, Amir? I agree with you that people aren't picking up on it because I really wasn't picking up on it. <laughs> <laughs> I read your review. I was like, oh, all right. There's definitely some more stuff to talk about here than I thought. I just kind of was like, all right, uh-huh. this is like fine. It was like a beef venture. This is okay. But I definitely wasn't loving it. I wasn't enraptured. I definitely had time to think about plot holes and shit, which is not a good sign, right? I'm not a mm. plot hole guy, right? So like, if I start thinking about that stuff, that means that something's not entirely clicking for me so Mm. but i mean i didn't like dislike it i still had a bunch of fun with this one actually i'm like not at all upset i watched or anything i wouldn't even say it was mid it was good i just wasn't as blown away as you were i think the first reaction people have is like oh it's minor fincher yes that was definitely my gut reaction i was surprised to hear you put it in a top five all time of fincher even though he only has like 12 movies people think it doesn't stick to the ribs as much as like something like the social network or fight club or gone girl or like any of his other movies and you know on the surface level i can agree with that. It's a movie about an assassin and he botches his job and he has to get out of the situation that he's in. And from his veneer, it plays by that tropey book quite closely. So it definitely doesn't seem as major as something like his other movies. But I think that's how he hides a lot of the really cool things about this movie within it. So we'll get to it, though. What do you think, Derek? I was definitely vibing with this movie for about three-fourths, maybe seven-eighths of this movie. <laughs> seven-eighths? I really like this movie. I actually really love the first, like, almost, what, 25, 30 minutes. It's like that first set piece, right? Waiting across the street. I was all into this movie. I really, really, really mm. like that set piece. I still think as it goes on, like, as he does his multiple hits, you've already mentioned this is like a Hitman movie, and a lot of the conceit of this movie is like him going you know, hit after hit after hit. Those are just the driving forces of the story. It was moving along. I was like, I'm really liking this movie. I was, though, kind of disappointed with the end. And we could talk about this when we get into more like detail, but I just don't think I like that final quote-unquote hit. So I was disappointed with it too, but I came around. So yeah, we should definitely talk about it. Maybe you guys didn't convince me. But um, (laughs) I was really feeling this movie. I really liked it. And I was just a little bit disappointed with the end. And I don't think it has to do with being mid or being lacking in any way. I do think that it stems from maybe a character thing. So I really like to dig into it. And maybe you guys can convince me otherwise. Yeah. I'm glad that you liked the first 20, 30 minutes because... I fucking love the first 20, 30 minutes. And it's where a lot of people check out, I think, just because people are like, uh, nothing's fucking happening. Yeah. Nah, it rules. Yeah. It's so good. And, you know, it's kind of a way of David Fincher trolling the audience a little bit. You want my fucking Hitman movie? You want my Assassin movie? Here's my guy waiting for 20 minutes to do his first hit. I don't even think it's boring. No. I think his monologue is funny, his internal monologue, his narration, which goes throughout the whole movie. But I think that's great, is compelling, doing all the prep work for the hit. And I think it's fucking hilarious that it's all of these precautions that he's taking, all this prep work he's doing, 
just lining up that shot, and he fucking flubs it. It's so <laughs> fucking funny. Yeah, the irony of that long-ass monologue about preparation and talking about all that stuff, and you see him waiting and being so patient, and then he completely fucks it up. It's very ironic, very funny. It is very, very funny. <laughs> this movie is kind of a deconstruction of the detached loner assassin type that you see in a lot of movies, going all the way back to Jean-Pierre Melville's Le Samurai and then you have, like, two Jim Jarmusch movies, The Limits of Control. Have you ever seen Ghost Dog? Mm-mm. Yes. Way of the Samurai? Yes. Yeah, it's kind of like that, Whitaker. too. That's right. Yeah, great movie. I fucking love that movie. And maybe something a little more recent, like Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive with Ryan Gosling. Those super buttoned-up professionals. It's kind of a deconstruction of that character. And it's just so funny that he fucking flubs it. Someone said this is, like... A perfect adaptation of a Hitman game, the Agent 47 series, the video game. But, like, you're watching a guy who's bad at the game play the game. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's funny. Because, like, the character animations are still smooth and, like, he's still effective at what he does. But the guy controlling him fucking sucks and he messes everything up. You know what I mean? That's funny. Which is kind of a funny way to put it. You kind of already gave a synopsis of this movie, right? So we don't really need to do one. Or did you still want to give a little bit more of a detailed synopsis? I could do a brief run through, right? So Michael Fassbender's, uh, I think, nameless uh, assassin. Mm-hmm. Nameless or a man of many names, I guess, because he has uh, all the different passports and whatnot. But um, he's uh, assassinating a target in Paris. He fucks it up. And then the contract with this organization is that if you fuck up a hit, they might send people to try to kill you. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he flees to his um, uh, safe house slash girlfriend's house in Dominican Republic and finds that the assassins in his employer's, uh, I don't know, employer are already there. And they really beat up his girlfriend pretty badly trying to get information about him. And so he goes on a revenge spree against his employer, the assassins who beat up his girlfriend, and the guy who ordered the original hit. And so it's the story of those, you know, five or six different assassinations all in a row. Basically a very simple story. And I think people kind of latch on to how simple it is and be like, this is not very original, but this movie's trying to do a lot of things, which we'll get into. So let's talk about it. You want to go run through like some things you like, things you didn't like? I just really liked what this movie is trying to say. And I think, like I said earlier, it's a very good companion piece to movies like Fight Club or The Social Network, just a commentary on capitalism consumerism and now with this movie the growing gig economy that we live in to quote jim jarmusch's movie the limits of control just michael fassbender being very very good at what he does but he's also kind of a bozo right he's kind of a fuck up in some ways throughout this whole movie there's this narration he's like this narrator for this movie and he has like the internal monologue it's like his mantras of how to do the job Stay professional, stay detached, anticipate, don't improvise, forbid empathy. And throughout the whole movie, he says those things, but all of his actions are like the, the complete opposite. opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's just so fucking funny. And I think that's what's interesting about this movie. I think there are people who just don't get it. They're like, well, he doesn't 
even follow his own advice. I'm like, yes, that's the whole That's the whole point. point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. There's so many things this movie is trying to do, which I fucking love. I think you have to dig into that. Like, your first point was the capitalism gig economy thing. Run with that for a little bit, because I think you have to lay it out, because as you said, like, people aren't going to just, like, pick up on exactly it. What are the things he's laying out here? Okay, so what I picked up on immediately is, you know, like, the rigmarole of- The WeWork office? Yeah, well- you know, first of all, the product placement in this movie is crazy. Squatting out of an empty WeWork office. He's talking about Airbnbs. He's going to, like, the stats about McDonald's. He's eating McDonald's outside of his hits. He's squatting out of rental cars. He's talking about Airbnb super hosts. His character is, like, this archetype of, like, silent assassin from all these cool movies that you've seen before. But when you're thrown into, like this capitalist society and, like, this consumerism that we're a part of every day, it's just not fucking cool anymore. You can't be fucking Ryan Gosling and drive and, like, still eat McDonald's, sleep in Hertz rental cars, and work out of empty WeWorks and talk about Airbnb superhosts. It just doesn't work that way. It's not as cool. And it's talking about, like, how we're cogs in this consumerist machine. Even people like Michael Fassbender as the world's coolest assassin can't fucking escape that. I guess that's part of the deconstruction that, you know, okay, it's no longer cool because the coolness has been destroyed by the giga comedy capitalism thing like everything else. Yeah, absolutely. I always think about, like, film writers now. AV Club laying off all its writers. Big publications laying off all of its most talented journalists. And, you know, this is kind of like that. I think in the movie it says he's had a hot streak of making every hit. So he hasn't flubbed a job in, like, forever. He's never screwed up, apparently. He's never yeah. screwed up. And, like, the first time he flubs it, his employer's most reliable guy. And as soon as he flubs something, he's fucking persona no grata. They're, like, fucking after him. They're going to kill him, right? That's exactly what I was going to say is that he's as disposable to his employer as the Uber driver is yeah, to the Uber exactly. company or as yeah, nameless, yeah. faceless. It's like whatever. What about you, Derek? Do you have any thoughts about things that Fincher's doing here that maybe people I kind of want to go back to something that you said, though, that are we supposed to believe that he actually has never failed I this think badly? So. It sounds goofy, right? Like it's like very weird, but that it stuck out to me too as being unrealistic. But I think you're supposed to take that as given how did you take it it's not that you're not supposed to believe him but he's kind of an unreliable narrator right he says one thing but he does another so it's like someone who maybe is saying like oh dude i never fuck up but every hit in this movie he fucks up in one way or another right <laughs> yeah yeah like yeah, the first true. one he misses the shot the second one, like, you know, when he kills Charles Parnell's character. Yes. He's like, oh, he means shit. To. He's like, oh, that fuck. took way faster than I thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the third one, he gets surprised because he doesn't suspect that the guy's not actually showering. This is the other thing I want to talk about because, you know, this is like Sigma male grind set, right? Like, <laughs> everything you do is fucking performance. It's to hype you up. Pretend you're the best version of yourself that you're ever going to be. So I took it to be like, he's not going to lie about his track record. But he's going to lie about his motivations and the way he does his job because he needs to say those things to believe them. But I don't think he's going to lie about how effective he is at his job. The other things that he says that he doesn't follow, all talk and no walk, the things he's saying to like hype himself up, it's the version of himself that he wants to be mm -hmm. and he's not, right? But yeah. I don't think he's lying mm -hmm. when he says like, oh, I haven't fucked up any of my jobs. As much as he fucks up, he's still very good at what he does, right? Like, he's still very smooth and he's still very methodical. It's just when it comes to, you know, like, forbidding empathy and, like, 
anticipate, don't improvise, stuff like that is going out the window as soon as something goes wrong, right? And that's another thing, like, maybe nothing's ever gone wrong before, right? But now that something has, all of his shit has gone out the window. Mm -hmm. So, like, his little grind set mentality has collapsed in on itself as soon as he shoots that woman by accident. He's got a little Tyler Durden Sigma grind set guy in his head or whatever. Right? The version <laughs> yeah. of himself who he wants to be. I like that. That's interesting. And then, you know, um, they say no plan ever survives contact with the enemy, right? So, like, all of a sudden, now that things have screwed up, they keep screwing up. It's like he has to improvise. He can't plan anymore. That's interesting. Yeah. I like that. Is there something else you think is being missed besides the kind of capitalism gig economy arc? It's easy to miss how much of a bozo this guy is you know he's still like throwing out his little uh sigma grind set mantras like even after he firebombs the guy's house right after yeah, the yeah, fight yeah, i'm yeah. like all right your fucking assassin mentality has gone out the window because you fucking blew up his house you can't be saying that shit anymore it's basically a commentary on like you know how hustle culture is fucking nonsense and even someone like this isn't above that i do have a suggestion for um the assassination companies in this world of the killer um if i was to run an assassination company i would simply not kill my employees when they failed yeah right <laughs> i think everything would be a lot better it's not even an option you mean i don't know it wouldn't be like the first thing i do right oh you know let's just assassinate this guy again i guess he assumed you've got like millions of dollars you can just run and hide or whatever like he didn't expect things to go down the way it did but bizarre way to run a business right and it doesn't really map out because look okay so he's worried about being killed in order to erase the data trail or whatever of the assassination right okay that kind of makes sense but then the people who are sent to kill him also fuck up mm -hmm. right tilda swinton's character and the florida yeah. man so Shouldn't they also be expecting the hits to be coming at any second? <laughs> it's just a whole domino effect. Yeah, like why the fuck <laughs> just are they just living the whole operation? Yeah, like why the fuck are they just living their lives? Like now they've fucked up too. Shouldn't they also be on the hit list or whatever? Isn't someone coming after them? Even if it's not him. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's yeah. not a chain sequence because it's a policy of the hitman service, right? It wasn't there a line about it's yeah, like an, an option, option that the right? client paid for. Yes. Whatever, right? Okay. Right? But it's just like, all right, we just failed to kill him. Oh well. Shrug and go home. Yeah, I don't know. Give the guy the money back when you failed the hit and then just call it Sorry, even that we way. We screwed you know up the mean? initial hit and then we screwed up getting the guy who screwed up the initial hit. Our bad. We'll give you your money back. Better luck next time. Like, what the fuck? I don't know. That's just not something I was thinking about. Yeah. I was yeah. just too taken by the movie to like that's think what of I the plot hole. not having me fully in its grip as I was thinking about this weird stuff and I'm like, yeah, that means that I wasn't mm -hmm. completely enthralled, right? It's not like there aren't things in this that work for me, though. Like, I don't want to give that impression either. But to address what you're saying, though, I think those are two different things, right? Because Michael Fassbender... For sure. His fuck-up is that... It's for the client. He kills an right. innocent bystander, and he flubs the client job, right? Right, yeah. And then to kill him, that's really just the insurance option of cleaning up your own mess. So right, yeah. They're not really the same. So I can see two different approaches of not having a domino effect. Right, of, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> cascading no, throughout the yeah. whole organization of killing everyone. That just doesn't really make sense. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but I get what you're saying. Yeah. All right. There's a plot hole to my plot hole. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's not like the entirety of the movie doesn't work for me. There's a lot of things that I liked here. I thought the not chase chase in Paris was super intense. Mm. It's super tense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After he flubs the hit, he's running around Paris, like dumping the parts of his guns in different trash cans and in the river and avoiding the police, 
even though they're not like directly chasing him because they don't know it's him yet, he is the person yeah. they're looking for, right? So it's incredibly tense. He's you know on his little city bike scooter <laughs> or whatever mm-hmm. it is, trying to evade police detection when they don't really know it's him. I thought that was really, really a really, really tense scene. I actually really liked that a lot. Yeah. So like another thing of this movie is like he's got backup plans for his backup plans and he's methodical, but no one's actually looking for him. You know what I mean? His precautions are like really not for nothing, but you know, it's another commentary on how consumerism has distracted everyone that you can be pulling these jobs and no one would even bat an eye at you. You know, the trick is to be like barely noticeable. He's got like his little German tourist outfit, but all those things in the middle of the movie, he's like, Oh, thank you. Wordle. Some dude's way too busy playing with his wordle to notice that he's like breaking into the office building. You know what I mean? Right, so like yeah, it's yeah. all these little name drops of things that are distracting people while he's going around murdering <laughs> his targets. Huh. I don't know if I think that that means all his planning is for not though, right? Because like Yeah, no, 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 no. Maybe had he not done all that shit, they would have caught his ass, right? If you just go and yeah, yeah. murder someone in broad daylight. Right? And that, and that kind of plays into the ending too. A little bit, which I'm yeah. sure we'll get back to. Um, what about you, Derek? Are there stuff that you like particularly loved about this movie that we didn't mention, stuff you hate? I do want to elaborate on what Jeff was saying, though. I think there's an aspect of his paranoia, though, right? That being ready and seeing the different scenarios play out in his head and trying to plan for them, that is the reason that kind of saves his life, no? Because isn't it he takes an extra day, he gives up his seat on the flight home because he's paranoid that yes. person yes, is that on the, his plane to kill him. him. Yes. yes. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's not all for naught, right? It's yeah, that's a very unintentional. Good point. It's by accident again still, but it could have potentially saved his life, right? Those things that he's doing are not stupid things like pretending that he's being like a cool assassin guy. He is pretty much a cool assassin guy. Like he's balancing the glass on the door handle as like a little triple arm if yeah. someone comes in. That's a neat little borny touch, right? That's a very stick the newspaper into the toaster to blow up the house type of deal. Yeah, like, he even thinks, like, oh, it's the carpet underneath. The glass won't break if it falls. So he puts, like, the lid of the dinner plate down there. So, like, if the glass drops, it will shatter and make a noise. So, like, he's definitely very good at what he does. He's not, like, bad at what he does. Which makes this movie even more interesting and a little thornier. It makes the movie satisfying because he still is solving problems maybe problems that don't actually arise but it's cool watching him do these things it's cool watching him do these things but i think one aspect of this movie that i really loved and why i think i love the first like you know 25 30 minutes of this movie is that i think we are conditioned when we watch assassin movies to like see the glamour behind it Mm -hmm. really cool hits people are getting killed in cool ways there's like a plan that has to be initiated it's always just like right? You know, really easy or it's Mm -hmm. methodically planned out and it goes off without a hitch. I think that first 25, 30 minutes like really shows the mundanity of him having to stake out this person for I don't know how long it is, right? Mm -hmm. He's like sleeping on this adjustable table. There's this cool line about someone said like sleep deprivation isn't torture because you know Mm -hmm. he's like probably not getting much sleep, right? Trying to stay up as long as he can to like stake out this situation. Like he says, like has to eat McDonald's. Like he calculates everything in the amount of protein he's eating. I love that kind of specificity showing us that this is a job. It's not an easy job, right? Like yeah. it's, it's hard. I wouldn't want this job. <laughs> That's like Fincher's commentary. This is just like any other job, any other fucking mind numbing job that you have in 
today's society, right? Except at the end of the day, you shoot someone in the head, right? Yeah. But his whole narration is so overwrought. It's so funny to me. Like, he's talking about world population and, like, how many people are born every second, how many people die every second, and how when he kills someone, nothing I do will put a dent in those metrics, you know? Stuff like that. It's just so over the top. Is there anything you guys didn't particularly like about the movie? If we're going to round out the price, I'll just say the couple of the things I really liked here. Oh, okay. Is the kills are really brutal and like kind of just sudden, right? I guess that's the only word for Mm. them. Except for the fight with the guy in Florida. The brute. (laughs) Yeah, the way he wastes that cab driver is insane. It's fully Mm -hmm. nuts. The way he snaps the neck of the secretary from the law office is also like insanely shocking and just super fast. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe Tilda Swinton's death is a little bit quick too i mean you know it's coming it's not one's not they're a all great but they're all really good like the, like the actual kills are yeah well they're all great for different in its own way everyone that's not the fuck up in the beginning where he kills the dominatrix by accident it's like a quick close-up and not like a wide shot of the murder i think the one that you notice it most is probably with charles parnell's character his death when he just puts two giant nails in his chest with a nail gun and it's like a super close-up of his chest and his shirt and like yeah. the nails going and like the blood's coming out and that in combination with his like miscalculation of how long it takes for him to bleed out and suffocate to death is very very funny another classic killer flub <laughs> the next snap on the secretary is a close-up too when he shoots tilda swinton in the head the gunshot is a really big close-up on that too it's shot very differently from how you would expect and there's like a visceral impact to those kills that i really liked and the fight scene with the brute is amazing. One of the best fight scenes of the year, I think. Just that whole sequence. Yeah, it's a good one. I do want to talk a little bit about killing of the assistant. And mm-hmm. I love that she doesn't beg for her life. She begs to mm-hmm. not disappear. Because she's like, I know you're going to kill me. But can you at least kill me in a way that makes it look like it was an accident so that my child can still claim my life insurance? Mm -hmm. Because she knows exactly what's going to happen. She respects the game in a way, I guess. I found that so clever, so different than other assassin movies. Again, like begging for their life. It'd be like, don't kill me because of this and this and this. I mean, she's part of the industry. She knows how it works, right? Kind of reminds me of Breaking Bad when uh, Lydia is begging Mike not to kill her on that show. And she's like, please let my family like find my body so they know what happened to me. You know, it's kind of like that. Kind of remind me of that. You know, I mentioned earlier about him like screwing up almost every hit he does in this movie, but I actually don't think he really screws up the Tilda Swinton hit, right? Like, I think that was one of the ones where he actually was very smart about it, right? He like didn't fall for her tricks, right? Because at the end, you find that she was holding a knife ready to stab him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a nice touch. He isn't entirely terrible at his job, right? He's still kind of good at this. And how great's the bear joke? The bear joke is so good. I fucking love the bear joke. Yeah, Tilda Swinton's only his movie for a hot, like, ten minutes or something, but she's great. Yeah. And just one of those people who just really just, I don't know, interesting looking. Just one of those unique looking people, right? Like, nobody looks like Tilda Swinton in Hollywood. So, and you just, you love to see it. She's great. At first, I was like, is the secretary Tilda Swinton? Because I was looking for Tilda Swinton this whole movie, because... Oh, that's funny. I know she's always, like disguised in some of her roles so i was like is that tilda swinton but then she just shows up as tilda swinton so i was like okay all right <laughs> is she effectively disguised though? i feel like she always looks like her 
She played this old professor guy in the Suspiria remake. Oh, see, I didn't see that. When they could have just cast some guy for no reason. It's fucking Tilda Swinton in old man makeup. What is that Amy Schumer movie? Trainwreck? Yeah, doesn't she play Amy Schumer's boss? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah, does yeah, yeah. not she look does, like she her. Does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. You see pictures of her, her in that movie. More of a chameleon than I've given her credit for then. I don't know. I feel like I always recognize her. She just is so no, she, striking most, looking, most of the time. You know? Most of the time she does. Most of the time you recognize her, but a lot of the time she does have a disguise on of some sort, which had me second guessing. I like a lot of the little touches in this movie. All of his aliases are sitcom mm. characters, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I thought was funny. I love that he only listens to the Smiths. Yeah. Yeah, that's as cool his soundtrack. Yeah. And some of the shit is so on the nose, it's so fucking funny. When he's visiting his girlfriend in the hospital, she's in the coma. The song is Girlfriend in a Coma, which I think is so <laughs> funny. <laughs> I know the people who use subtext and they're all cowards, right? Seriously. So, good stuff. A lot of things I love in this movie. <laughs> what about the things that you guys didn't like? I don't think I have any, but maybe you guys do. I think we talked about my little plot hole thing, and then we talked about how I did feel it was kind of slight overall. I don't really have anything else specific to point out. What about you, Derek? I think for me, like, you know, okay, let's get into this ending, right? So, All right, yeah, let's do it. So the ending of this movie is that the last hit is basically the guy who hired him in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Played by Arliss Howard. Yes. And he, like, gets to this guy's house, and you think he's there to kill him, but basically he's there to just threaten him and basically scare the shit out of him so like he won't come after him but he lets him live right throughout this whole movie he's like been very best as he can calculated and very you know he shows a little bit of remorse and like respect you know when i we talk about that like secretary kill but he still kills her right it's not like he lets that go right it, it's still someone he kills ties up loose ends kills the cab driver without really remorse so i don't know i don't know if I entirely believe that he would let this person go. That's not what bothers me about this scene. I think what bothers me is that it feels like he's gone through this change. And I'm not entirely sure I see how he gets there. Especially with a movie that is so reliant on narration. I would think that it would be more forthright with the information of like why he's letting this particular person go. Okay. I think he does say it though, right? Because he says- You can't see me, but I'm giddy to give you a rebuttal on your Okay. okay. Here, right. go ahead. I'll, I'll go first because I think the first thing is he talks about how it's just simply too much trouble to kill rich people. Mm, okay. Because the cops, the cops uh, come after you like directly in proportion to the person's net worth or whatever, which is pretty fucked up. But okay, he does yeah, say that. that he does say that. And then he's also- he is finally adhering to one of his old rules, right? The old rule of kill, don't kill anybody unless you're getting paid for it. So in a way, you could look at it as him. We talked about him like not following his own mantras, but you could see in here where he is. He kills the other assassins and his boss out of revenge, really, right? He doesn't have to do that. He could just go disappear. But he's pissed off and he wants to kill them. And he gets to the final guy and he's like, you know what? This is too much effort. He's rich. I'm just going to let him live, right? And that's the ultimate commentary on, like, what he's been talking about in the whole movie, right? Is that, like, okay, this guy is a gig economy assassin, and, you know, people who constantly Uber or constantly DoorDash or whatever who are rich can just do this with no cost, and that's the same thing this guy can do. He can hire 
assassin at no cost, and it's never going to blow back on him. It'll blow back on other people, but he's too rich for consequences. Yeah, so to flip the saying around, this is the rule to the exception, right? Like, this is him actually following his own rules. Mm -hmm. Because this dude's a crypto billionaire. So, like, if you kill him, what he said about coming after them directly proportional to their net worth, that's exactly what's going to happen. Where everyone else he kills, like the cab driver, you can easily disappear. He's just a cab driver. And then everyone else he kills are part of, like, the wet work organization, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I feel like they're easy to disappear, too. But this guy, as soon as you kill him, is going to be a shit show, right? Like, he's probably quite famous and he's well-known. So, like, if you murder him, it's going to be a problem. So, like, the best thing you can do is to scare him and hope he doesn't come after you. And ensure that he wasn't coming after you for a reason, right? And it's not, like, personal. Yeah. Yeah. It is important that he talks to him and gets that information from him, right? That's not just like window dressing. He really does want to know. It's like, hey, if we have personal beef, I'll just kill you right here. Mm -hmm. Like, I need to know that this was all like a corporate fuck up, essentially. This is all just a mistake. And so he buys himself a little insurance that way. And he thinks that this is like a guy that you can scare. Mm -hmm. You're not making an enemy for life of somebody who's also in the criminal world who's going to come after you or whatever. Like, this is just like a doofus who was ordering a service. Who's ordering killers the way you order an Uber and something got screwed up, right? And I think I understand that. I understood why he doesn't kill him by the end of this movie. Mm -hmm. That wasn't my issue. It was more that I thought he abandoned the idea. And I'm saying Fincher abandoned the idea of the narrative at the end. But I guess you guys do bring up a good point that he does say like earlier in the movie about killing people in relation to their net worth. I guess maybe I didn't pick up on that. And now that you say that, it can explain why he doesn't kill him at the end. But... I guess for me, it was just as the movie went on, I think the narration decreased. And I think that's you kind of, of forgot about it. You kind of forget about it. And like, I think it's such a great thing about this movie and about this character. And it just kind of whittles down by the end. And like, he kind of forgets that he has a character that basically speaks his mind at all times by the end of the movie. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing I want to say about that is the character doesn't go through a change in this movie, right? Like, mm. there really is no change. And it's about how we can't really escape the system where, you know, something like Fight Club, what is that, like 20 something years ago, they do blow up like the credit card buildings at the end. And it's like a fight the system, although in kind of a fascist way, but it is kind of like a fight the system kind of movie. And but this one, it's, you know, it's kind of resigned to the capitalist rot. Right. And, you know, Michael Fassbender, he's talking about world population, but he's also talking about himself when he says, like, nothing I do will put a dent in those metrics, right? So it's kind of like how you can't get out and there's no use in fighting, right? I waited until we were talking about this final hit or non-hit on the Arliss Howard character. But do you guys get the feeling of this movie as autofiction for David Fincher and like a parallel to his filmmaking and his career kind of and and i think i was kind of alluding to that a little bit when i was talking about assassin movies being this glamorous thing but this is just a job there's mundanity to it and mm-hmm. you can kind of take that as being a director too right this is a job to him and in a way there is a grind to it right and like it's not always glorious and it doesn't always go right mm-hmm. um, but he is good at what he does but he's allowed to fuck up at times Like anybody. This movie is about like a technical fetishist perfectionist, just like David Fincher is, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. his style of filmmaking. He demands take after take after take. He plans all his shots out in advance and he's very, very meticulous about shooting 
And his whole method of making movies is problem solving. So it's kind of like a parallel to Michael Fassbender in this movie. And like, he's kind of making a parallel to himself. And even more so, it's about a guy who fucked up his last job because uh, <laughs> Mank was fucking terrible. <laughs> I think it's really hard to pick out Fincher's best movie. But I can, without a doubt, say that Mank is probably his worst. Wow. <laughs> I really didn't like Mank. I remember I saw it once. And yeah, I've never had an inclination to watch it again. I don't even remember it. It's really sad to say that, but I don't really remember the movie at all. So, interesting line between Mank and the killer is that Arliss Howard was in Mank as the studio exec. So, can you read into that a little bit? Mm. Where it's like, oh, mm. you can never kill the fucking big honcho, right? <laughs> like, you're always going to have to kowtow to the person with the money, right? And that really ties in, like, this capitalist takedown theme of the movie, too, which, oh, it's so fucking good. I love it. You're only able to take a limited revenge on people around yeah. you who are at your level or below, but you're never going to be able to actually take a blow at the people above you or destroy the system because you just don't mm -hmm. have that power, right? It's the kind of realist, pragmatist, cynical, depressing ending to Fight Club's romantic, unrealistic, rebellious fight the system ending. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I like that. There's a lot to read into this movie, but not because like the rest of it is boring so that you have to find a deeper meaning. There's your dopamine hits in this too, right? You got all these assassinations and problem solving, you know, the stakeouts, the fight scene is amazing. It's good stuff. It's good stuff, even if you can't dig deeper into the movie. It's fine. There's plenty of things for everyone to like. All accounts, it's doing well, critically praised, but also, you know, it's doing well on Netflix. It was number one yeah. in the top 10 movies when Mank never hit anywhere close to that. It is a little bit of a hit for Netflix and for him, Venture. Yeah. I kind of want to get into this just a little bit, but you guys hear his words about what he thinks about Netflix and like the studio system. No. He loves Netflix. Yeah, he like loves Netflix. You know, he praises them for giving him the freedom that I think he wants, but also what he thinks that other directors and filmmakers deserve. They're very much more open to like ideas and not really penny pushing, right? When it comes to cut scenes or cut ideas. As much as sometimes we see pushback against companies like Netflix or streamers for maybe destroying the movie going experience he's very much out there saying right now like this is the future he kind of believes in this system and like he pushes back on anyone that box at only wanting to be in theaters and not in streaming because we're basically everything is going to be made on streamers eventually it's kind of how I read it. Fuck that. He's a bozo just like his character. No? No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Like, you can't be surprised that he has that opinion, though, right? Because mm -hmm. he kind of launched Netflix with House of Cards. Oh, yeah. Because he was the executive producer, and he was one of the first proponents of that. And it makes sense, because he's like a promoter of digital photography, too. Like, he always is pushing the boundaries of what digital can do. So... I'm not surprised. He does a lot of stuff for the streaming platform, especially yeah. Netflix, like Mindhunter. Mindhunter, he did yeah. too. The way that show got two seasons, as much as I want a third, is kind of a minor miracle that people actually watch that, you know? Mm -hmm. And he got two seasons out of it just for being David Fincher. Yeah. But yeah, he defends streaming, so it's fine. Another side of the coin, right? Yeah. I don't think I agree entirely with his sentiments, but... 
I don't either, but... I mean, I think the stuff about... If it is true, you have to take that with a grain of salt because, like, I mean, he's David Fincher. Like, how many people really say no to David Fincher and his ideas, right? But him saying, like, streamers are more open and, like, aren't so worried about the bottom line. If that is true, I could see that as a pretty big positive for something like a streaming network. But I don't entirely believe that, what he's saying, so... I mean, I believe that Netflix is more forgiving with creative choices, especially with auteurs like Alfonso Cuaron or David Fincher or, you know, Apple TV with Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they get close to carte blanche, right? Like, they get to do whatever they want, where if you're under a big studio, you're going to get the studio notes and, like, you want to be able to maximize box office. I don't agree that streaming is the future. I think a streaming collapse is coming, mm. but... I get why he's enticed by this system and the flexibility. And I think it's different when it comes to TV. There's no way to get TV like it was before because Netflix famously cancels everything after two seasons. I'm not even investing in new Netflix shows just because I know they're just going to be canceled because they don't give the TV shows the time to breathe and like collect the audience. Something like, I don't know, Lost or Buffy the Vampire Slayer or The West Wing. They would never take off today anymore like on netflix it would be canceled before it could even gain any traction with its audience Mm -hmm. yeah that old model is gone but i do think it's necessary i think it might come back after this big streaming collapse is gonna happen sooner or later this movie's gorgeous by the way yeah i wish i'd gotten to see it in theaters yeah i think that is definitely part of my Lack of being blown away is just the format in which I had to see it, unfortunately. And, you know, it's got like a lot of the lockdown compositions that David Fincher is known for. But Eric Messerschmidt, who he's worked with a bunch of times as his DP, he's doing some different things in this. There's a little shaky cam. The camera works a little freer. Like that sequence you really liked, Amir, where he's dodging the cops on the motorcycle and like disposing of all the stuff. There's like a little more camera movement there and like a little shaky cam. It looks great. It's really good and visceral. And combined with like the sound design when he's like disposing of all the stuff, it's like really, really cool. Yeah. And a lot of little cool movements that he does, you know, like spraying the sink, he gets like all four corners, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. All the stretches he does in the beginning, I was trying to do, I was like, I can't fucking do that. <laughs> yeah. Fassbender's a flexible dude. Yeah. No, I mean, and the movie is definitely filled with details. That's one of my favorite things about like any movie is when it takes its time to really establish the world, the characters with tiny details like that, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's plenty of movies out there with just like generic droll. Yeah. It's not as fun, right? Uh, is there anything else you guys wanted to bring up? No, I think that's it. I think so, yeah. Love okay. this movie. Yeah. It's out right now on Netflix, so definitely it's really easy to catch. As much as we express issues with it, I think we all do really like this movie and would still recommend it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think check it out. Perfect movie. 10 out of 10. No issues. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mr. Uh, fucking Matrix 3 lover. Jeez. <laughs> well, that would be a, a perfect place to end. So, uh, Jeff, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com where I reviewed David Fincher's The Killer. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. What about you guys? All right. You can... Uh... Find me using that little, like, glass and dinner plate trick to make sure I don't get corrupt on by the ops. <laughs> what about you, Derek? You can find me at the World's Okayest Photos on Instagram. But if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our show is to subscribe where you get your podcast, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Google, or any of the other popular apps. If you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify, please do us a favor and give us a great rating. It really helps to get our voices out to more people. 
yeah, if any questions, comments, suggestions on our episode on David Fincher's The Killer, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like getting listener mail. Sometimes we even read it out on the pod. We will see you guys next week. See you guys next week, everybody. See you guys then.